You're listening to Cosmic Tonic. Oh, yeah. Uh, okay, let me say that again. <clears throat> Cosmic Tonic. Hi, thanks for tuning in to Cosmic Tonic. Today, we're really excited to speak with Amy Tork of the Missing Witches podcast in part two of a series we're doing exploring the astrological signatures in the natal charts of witches. If you're enjoying what we do, please don't hesitate to leave us a five-star rating, write a review, or share the show with your friends. We greatly appreciate it. And now you can enjoy the show on YouTube. Please subscribe to our channel to enjoy a fun and dreamy VHS montage while you listen in. Thanks for being here, and we hope you enjoy the show. So to start off, Amy, I was wondering if you could introduce yourself to the audience and tell us exactly what it is that you do. Well, um, I'm Amy, <laughs> and uh, I, I think of myself as like a counterculture enthusiast, um, and so obviously there's a lot of overlap between that and, and witches in all their myriad form. Um, what do I do? Um, I feed the birds in my yard, and I sit with them sometimes. In terms of the Missing Witches Project, <laughs> I, uh, I uh, do a podcast with uh, my uh, podcasting and uh, Missing Witches partner, I guess, um, because there, there are so many things going on with the Missing Witches Project right now. But yeah, uh, my, my partner in that sense, Risa Dickens, um, we uh, started playing music together and then formed a coven and then that sort of turned into a podcast, which has now turned into a book and live events. And yeah, so I, um, I read about witches and I talk to witches. And uh, that, that's pretty much what it is. What we do is we, we take a, we, we look at um, mystical people in history. And then we talk to contemporary self-identified witches um, who either, you know, culturally or in the work that they do that's that there's some sort of thematic relationship between those so we try to get like a, a historical and um, as intersectional as possible approach both in terms of our histories and in the contemporary which is that we talk to and finding those threads that make us all the same in all our glorious difference <laughs> yeah you touched on this slightly in your self-description and in the description of what you do with missing witches but <clears throat> I was wondering if you could describe how you identify a witch or define witch and I know this is a myriad word and it contains multitudes but you know in your own frame your own framework how do you define what a witch is what's a witch who's a witch I, I, ju I just um <laughs> today listen to your episode with Sandra so it's very tempting to say you know the person at the end of the finger um, <laughs> because that was so good that I was like yeah I'm putting that in my vault but you know you, you already had that conversation so I'll skip that um, again like the one of the greatest things to me about the word which is that like you say like it, it means what it means to whomever is claiming it mm -hmm. Um, and I think that's wonderful. You can equally be, 
you know, in, in black lipstick or barefoot in a sunflower field, you can equally be into Satan or, you know, Hecate or uh, Yamaya and, and claim that word. Um, and so for me, like a witch is, again, it's a word that you claim for yourself, but it just kind of speaks to the lens that you see the world through more so than who you are or what you are because the the, the witch is nebulous even mm-hmm. in and you know shape-shifting is a word that comes up a lot um so i think it's 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 better to think of witch as verbs and adjectives mm-hmm. instead of nouns if that makes sense um so yeah to me uh, a witch is a, a verb and an adjective more so than a noun I like that. <laughs> I like the openness of that. Well, and I'm curious because I know today we're going to talk about Monica Shu at some point, or at least we have some interest in looking at her and something that really called to me just researching her. I'm so lit up by exploring her life. Yeah, it's been very cathartic today, but I won't bring all of that in. I wish but- you would. I wish you would. <laughs> Well, I mean, I can, not my own personal, like, cathartic experience, because just the the mother archetype of it's really speaking, but I'm just really noticing this amazing blend between the witch and activism. There's, like, this oneness, and I've really been sitting with duality today, and so I'm wondering if you want to speak to that, or if this is a good segue to explore a particular witch and what's the draw to her and for you and yeah yeah. well I mean to to speak personally about about Monica um Monica shows a painter and an author obviously she co-wrote um the great cosmic mother with Barbara Moore so again for Risa and I as witch collaborators working on a like a basically like a feminist history piece I mean we felt a we felt a major connection and then of course reading the material you're just like like but there's a lot of like of course like your mind's blown but you're like of course like of course like um anyway I won't get into (laughs) everything but but she also had this cynical mind about um um new age you know like especially like this Victorian influence to new age that she saw as very appropriative. Um, and she had a lot of issues. She wrote a book called uh, New Age Armageddon, which was, you know, way, way ahead of its time about, you know, performative things, not performative in the way that us theater people um, <laughs> think of for, because again, like ritual is performance. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of our witchcraft is performance, um, not in the sense that we don't mean what we're saying or there's nothing to back it up, but in terms of like, you know, big, bold public gestures. And that I think um, is, is uh, one of the main relations to activism. Um, like point blank, the witch and the activist have in common that we think we can change the world with what we do, with what we do. Um, and so to me, that's a, very, that's a very simple line to draw. We believe we have agency. We believe that there are pow- there's power in our words. We believe that when we come together as a group that we can expand that power um, and make something greater than the sum of our parts. Um, we are grassroots people. 
uh, very often, you know, we're not necessarily working within the rules of society. Oftentimes we're raging against them. So yeah, uh, I don't know if that answers your question, but to me, like, it's all overlap. It's not a Venn diagram. It's like two plates stacked on top of each other. You know, there's not, there's not that much difference. Dr. Beverly Smith said, you know, um, yes, I, I go to the, I go to the protest, but I also take the snake shed and wrap the effigy of the police. You know, both of these things are, are equally important to her and her practice and her quest for justice, I guess. It's, it's interesting because the, in, in the magical tradition, and I mean, that with a big M encompassing a lot and it, sh it shouldn't even be singular in mad in magical traditions but especially um, in western magical traditions there's also been a really virulent strand of conservatism and of being quite like the Nazis were incredibly occult and had occult practitioners within their ranks um, and if you look at some of the, her, the Golden Dawn practitioners, you know, so much misogyny involved in some of their, um, well, there's some of their writings, some of their worldviews. And so I'm wondering, like, how this f figures in to which as activist, because I totally agree that that potential is there. And I also seen how that has gone the uh, well i guess i'm assuming that activists are progressive which they not aren't always but you know what i mean like I, i'm wondering if you could speak to perhaps that contrast or that tension within this plural magical these these traditions in the west specifically because that's my own framework um, anyway i i don't know if i can answer that question but i can tell you what mm. came to my mind uh, as you were asking it and i think that uh, magic is neutral. Mm. Magic is like a hammer. Yeah. You can take a hammer and you can build a house for the homeless. <laughs> or <laughs> you can take that same hammer and you can bash somebody's skull with it. Mm. A lot of what happened was these beautiful, and again, like a lot of it was very appropriative, not just in terms of um, cultures, but um, in terms of the patriarchy. Mm -hmm. as well. Um, and so these men like Alistair Crowley and Gerald Gardner that you're kind of alluding to created hierarchical structures, mm -hmm. but like imbued them with magic. And I'm, I'm using scare quotes here because, you mm -hmm. know, to me, I mean, yeah, again, <laughs> that to me is kind of missing the point. Um, but so the hammer is the hammer. Magic is the hammer. And, you know, when, when certain people and, um, have taken these and used them to, to sexually manipulate mm -hmm. people, um, exploit people who they perceive to be weaker than them, gaslight people into believing that they were weaker than them because they had this again i'm using scare quotes for your listeners here they had this magical knowledge that was his and not yours so again to me it, that's counterintuitive to, and i and i get you know uh, the the occult umbrella and it, it encompasses so many things mm -hmm. 
Um, but certainly that was like part of the impetus of the Missing Witches Project was because mm -hmm. we had heard of all the men who surrounded Pixie Coleman Smith, but we hadn't heard of Pamela Smith, mm -hmm. you know? And then the, the tarot deck that she designed and drew didn't have her name on it mm -hmm. for like a hundred years. So uh, the thrust of the Missing Witches Project is to find the, to find the Pixie Smith behind the, um, the behind the William Butler Lurie Yates, or mm. behind the weights, you know, behind the riders and the weights. Mm. Um, so yeah, to me, it's a completely different thing. There's no tension because it's a completely different thing. It, it, it's mm. apples and oranges, you know, it, they just happen to have some of the same symbology. You know? mm -hmm. We've seen that too, you know, like the American flag, you know, it, it, it means something different when it's hanging in front of a certain person's house than it does when it's being used uh, in a piece of art or being burned, for example. <laughs> you know, it's the same, it's the same piece of cloth, but it's two very, 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 very different meanings depending on whose hands they're in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think that's true. And I think that, you know, today we're going to talk mostly about Monica's show. And it's interesting, um, you know, being very much in the 70s, in a movement that burgeoned in the 1970s, as distinct maybe from the decades prior, that that really, I'm almost wondering, and maybe this is a good segue for all of us to start talking about Monica's show, but I'm almost wondering if she was reacting against, well, clearly she was, she was reacting against maybe just some of the, the misbehavior she was seeing among her contemporaries, but I wonder too if there was a reaction against what came before her. I don't know that for a fact, but I mean, and maybe some of the more conservative. Um, well, almost certainly. I mean, she, the great cosmic mother is, is an unlearning, um, mm -hmm. to, again, to take a word from your, your episode with Sandra. Um, it's an exercise in unlearning. Yeah. It's about taking the ideas that we had about human history and recontextualizing them. Um, so firstly, yeah, definitely. Her, the, the whole thing is, is a process of unlearning. And more formally, I mean, she did a painting of a, of a, a, a still life, no, I can't say still life, it's there's movement, but um, a, a, a person giving birth. Mm -hmm. So you see the, the baby like exiting from between the legs. And she was like very nearly arrested for indecency mm -hmm. for this painting. And her reaction to that was to put it on a placard and to, you know, storm the pulpit of a church. So yeah, I think a lot of what we do is reactionary. Absolutely. And I think that was for sure the case for show. Um, and, and that happens a lot that, you know, we don't, we don't understand our power until it's tested. I don't recommend trauma, but, um, <laughs> but it happens, you know, sometimes, but it happens yeah, and, it and sometimes, points out your resilience. Yeah, yeah. exactly. You know, mm -hmm. we all, we all have these moments where we thought like, I, I can't do this anymore. And yet here we all are on this zoom conversation, even though I guarantee every single one of us has thought at one point in your life, like I can't fucking do this anymore, <laughs> you know, or I can't yeah. deal with this anymore or I can't. And yet here we are done. Yeah. You know, here, here we are. Um, so yeah, I, she, I mean, she was, she, I, I have to tell the story about, um, because because you all asked like is there one witch in particular that you that you would like to focus on and 
And I, I told you that Monica Shaw is sort of the patron saint of the Missing Witches Project, you know, bo both Risa and I just were absolutely just blown away by uh, Great Cosmic Mother and then the other work of hers that, that we got into later. But just as we were learning about Monica Show and, and reading about her, we got an invitation to speak at a, a Gnostic conference, which was to, wow. take place, a, to take place in a church, stained glass pews, the whole bit. So Risa and I were like, well, it's obvious. We have to recreate Monica Show's <laughs> storming of the pulpit. I mean, it seemed so clear, you know? Um, and, so, and so that's what we did. I mean, we, we were hired to sort of give a talk and a Q&A, but we, we entered singing the goddess song. Um, I, <laughs> I brought it, we, we brought uh, like trans and non-binary witches of color with us to come up the aisle and sit with us and do the Q&A with us on the pulpit. Um, and we really just like give that up to Monica Show as, as you know, putting, it, putting the idea in the brain of the people who were, who, who were organizing the conference to ask us to come and do this so that we could do this, you know? Um, so again, that's why I chose Monica Show. I know that's quite a bit of an aside, but um, she, her, she really has been just such a major, very practical influence on, in, on us in terms of like the things that we have done. So I'm really excited to hear what the stars can tell us about her and where she got her power from. <laughs> That's such an incredible demonstration. You know, I was thinking about this when you were talking earlier about uh, the, the performance aspect of magic and also activism and how both involve demonstrations. You know, yes. we, we literally demonstrate when we're holding signs, <laughs> but, you know, a demonstration of magic can also be a a, a dance or a, a, yeah a dance absolutely mm. and, I think and by the end the, the priests were dancing <laughs> <laughs> i was gonna ask how it was received <laughs> yes that's awesome they, we we um we passed the uh we they were gonna pay us but they were gonna keep it private just for their like conference attendees so we negotiated that they wouldn't pay us but we, anyone who wanted to come could come. And then we, we passed the, uh, I grew up in the church. So this was again, like so wonderful and cathartic for me to be doing this in my own way. Passed the collection plate. Um, we, we raised funds for uh, the Native Women's Shelter of Montreal. And the people who had already like, you know, priests just throwing money, just, you know, just throwing money because we, you know, we came and we blew it up. Like it had been a very staid, you know, conversational and event up until that point. And then we Monica showed them. <laughs> That's incredible. When was that? Yeah, it was very well received. That was like, we had only just started the project. So uh, I want to say maybe we had like two episodes out when they called us. Well, how long ago? Two years. So yeah, like just under two years ago, maybe. And, wow. and we were just recently on their podcast again, like it was extremely well received. And I think that's the thing a lot of times that uh, people are just looking for a witch to lift the curtain and say, no, it's... It's just like, it's just a person, <laughs> you know, you're yeah. a wizard too. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. People are usually pretty excited when you reveal that part of themselves to them. 
Do you know what year it was that she led that walk through the church? It was when she was older, right? Yeah, I would have to look it up, but she mm-hmm. was probably, I would say, in her 40s or 50s, maybe, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would, have to, I would have to return, but yeah. Because she died in 2005, is mm-hmm. that correct? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. I'd be curious if there was an... Um, Sometimes what we see is astrological links between like this, the seed event and then a, a reenactment or a resurgence of that event. Sometimes it can happen on the Saturn return, so 30 years later, but there are other planets we can look to for returns. So that might be something we look at for the show notes or research privately and let you know. That would <laughs> be I'd, extremely interesting. I'd yeah. be really curious if there was some kind of return yeah, astrologically <laughs> when you and yeah. Risa walked through that church seriously yeah because she's such a revolutionary in her own right and reclaiming the goddess and everything mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah so why don't we start by sharing some of the signatures that we found striking in monica's show's chart and we can explain what they mean in English, <laughs> non-astro, <laughs> astro banter. And um, it'll be curious to see your reaction to that or to see if that triggers any other ideas about Monica. Um, I know that just, I think we almost have to start with the the Uranus series. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> so just for the audience's uh, sake, we don't have a timed chart for Monica's show that at least that we know of, so we don't have a birth time for her. Um, which means that on the, on the day of her birth, the moon was between 20 degrees of Aries and three degrees of Taurus. So depending on what time she was born, she had an Aries moon or a Taurus moon. And I, I can see both, honestly, I can see rationale for both, but that's just, just to mention that. Um, but otherwise her son was in Capricorn and we don't have um, an ascendant. But one of the most striking signatures in this chart, given all of her art and given um, like the names of her books and what she's known for, is this stellium or con- um, conjunction of many things together of the planet Uranus, her south node, and the asteroid Ceres. Um, so Jasmine or Kestrel, maybe one of you could take the lead and telling us what that means or maybe sharing some of the archetypes of of Ceres or Uranus or the south node? Sure. The nodes of the moon are these points in the sky where the sun and the moon's path cross. There is a south node of the moon and there is a north node of the moon. These points hold energy. If you look at the glyph of the south node, it looks like a cup, which suggests it's holding something. It's something that is already contained within us. Anytime you have planets, luminaries, or asteroids conjunct the nodes, it suggests that node is infused with that archetype. I really like how you, Eliza, described the south node as this place that we ladle from 
So with Monica having Uranus there and Ceres, Uranus is considered an archetype of disruption and it is the revolutionary planet of the zodiac. And then Ceres, of course, is associated with the mother, with the mother archetype. And what it suggests is that Monica already, she had already mastered these archetypes in some way, shape, or form. Well, I think we should open up that Ceres archetype a bit more. Like sure. The, so Ceres is the Roman counterpart of Demeter. So I, you may be familiar, uh, Amy and our listeners may be familiar with the story of Demeter and Persephone and Persephone being abducted by Pluto into the underworld, at least in the, the more, uh, the telling that we have, the telling that's been written down and therefore pass onable. <laughs> um, but there is this, I, what I find with Ceres and Demeter and what I find with people who have that asteroid prominently placed in the chart is there can often be a, uh, an intimacy with grief work. But what it calls to mind for me is that I loved that passage that you read. Um, I actually was, I think it was Risa who read it on, um, from the great cosmic mother and it was describing, it was Monica Show's writing describing um, mothers as being these saints going between worlds and being that, that like entity that can pass between worlds. And that's what the birth process is. And I think that to be the, you know, the handmaiden of a birth process is very, it's not dissimilar from being the, um, when I say handmaiden, I mean like a doula or a, an overseer, a guardian. <laughs> um, and it's, it's not dissimilar from the death process and both are, are like a, you know, it's, it's crossing over. There's a, there's an element of, um, coming from one world and then going into the other either way and so to have well just to have that raw maternal archetype so like just the mother archetype and the mother as a as a um almost an initiator of life and like a person who helps that that being cross from pre-life to life um that archetype seemed to be clear in Monica. I mean, she had three children, but also the radicalizing of mother that you see in that painting, for instance, that you name, that you see in um, that book, which I haven't actually read, but from what I understand and from the fragments that I've seen, that maybe being that Uranus contingent. Uranus is the first planet beyond Saturn. So there's this sense that he's exploding any of those boxes or uh, gates or walls. Um, so there is this like, this radical mother <laughs> quality that seems actually so prominent in that chart, which is so striking. <laughs> yeah, Monica, uh, I don't know if she coined this or if it's something that I, I've heard since, um, but uh, saying that the, the mother is the original shaman. And it's exactly mm. what you said, this sort of like this guide between these two worlds. Mm. And um, as you said, Risa, Risa wrote that episode and she wrote the chapter that Monica's mm. included in our, in our book that's coming mm. out because she and Monica both had uh, 
I, I mean, I, I haven't, I've never given birth, so I don't know, but I can't imagine that it could be untraumatic, <laughs> really. Um, yeah. But, you know, she, she and Monica shared that where they, they did have a, a traumatic birth and both mm. for themselves and for their child, they had to contend with birth and death, you know, conceivably happening in the same moment. Oh my God. Um, and then, wow. and then Monica, I, I believe, if I'm remembering correctly, it's been a little while, but if I remember correctly, Monica lost one of her sons when he was an adult. Mm-hmm. And well one too. is a teenager too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and one is a teenager. Yeah, mm-hmm. so this relationship between, you know, uh, life and death, <laughs> I mean, to put it as, as bigly as possible, um, was mm-hmm. very, very prominent in her, in her work and in, in, her, in her life. You know, what was thrust upon her, but also what she, you know, put out into the world. And I think, um, again, knowing that, you know, she, she was the original shaman, um, I think helped her to contend with, with that. Because, I mean, it seems uncontendable um, to grapple precisely with the idea of birth and death at the mm-hmm. exact same moment. And yet um, people have been giving birth and doing this for, I don't know, 4,000 years if you talk to some people longer if you talk to others. <laughs> but yeah, so there's this always been this, this tension, but instead, like what we got in our society was this Virgin Mary story mm. of the mother. This was the mother that we got where nobody talked about giving birth. It was a virgin conception, so there was no dirty sex and no you know Mm -hmm. and as far as i know you know jesus just slipped right out of mary into the manger and into his and and everything is beautiful and perfect and there was no gore or death or fear but Mm -hmm. that's just not uh that's just not how giving birth works again i've never Mm -hmm. done it but based on what i know it's extremely messy Mm -hmm. and extremely painful and extremely confronting for everyone involved so Mm -hmm. i think that the monica show version is definitely a lot closer to what we were fed and again and this is monica's process of unlearning and helping us Mm -hmm. to unlearn that you know as as uh, as people who are raised certain ways that we have to behave in certain ways because we are mm-hmm. this or we are that. She's like, nah, you're bigger than all that. Mm-hmm. You're bigger than all that. And you have a history of being bigger than all that. And they tried to convince you that you didn't. And that's mm-hmm. again, where I think the mm-hmm. radicalization comes from is because she wasn't just discovering these things. She was unearthing them, uncovering mm-hmm. them, things that had, we ways that we had been deliberately misled in terms of our power mm-hmm. not just as women but as people mm-hmm. as people like under the crush of capitalism or patriarchy or you know whatever hegemony you're living under and monica says no you're the original shaman yeah yeah and this whole signature in Taurus in an earth sign, just that unearthing you express brings it to life even more. And I just feel like she's reclaiming the archetypes because there's this really intense, difficult side of birthing. But I also feel like Risa in your podcast, Monica was talking about the euphoria and the, the magic and the connection to the divine as well, which, yeah, seems to be a big part of her 
work and this virgin, like reclaiming that word as well, not just this purity, but one in herself and her sexuality and the rawness of the birth. The image is amazing. We'll have to include it in our show notes as well, or maybe in the imagery we do. It's, it's powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Risa did some great writing in that episode for sure. Oh, they were so amazing. Yeah, that first season we worked really closely together, and and then we sort of like had established our style, and we 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 still edit each other's work a, mm-hmm. a lot, but you know we work a little bit more independently than we did back then. So yeah, there were moments where I was like, Heidi, like, did you write this or did Monica write this? And she'd be like, <laughs> right. Oh, that was oh that was me, and I was like, I couldn't. I couldn't. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, I couldn't tell a difference in if she was writing versus reading or reading her writing versus reading Monica's show on the podcast. I was taking notes and I was like transcribing and I was like, wait, who's who? What's what? <laughs> this is why you hear, and it only happens on the first season. I put like reverb on the voice when it was a quotation and none where there wasn't. Mm. Um, so <laughs> that's something that I only did in the first season because it was a lot of work. And I yeah. just felt like, you know, people will figure it out. Go read it. Here's the, here's the book it's from or not. Yeah, or, I, and, you I, know, I, we, I try to be clear in other ways. Like I didn't write this. Somebody else wrote this, you know, I'm not like trying to plagiarize, but yeah, only in that first season did I do that. Cause I felt that there was like a lot of um, possibility for, she was almost channeling it I wasn't mad at it at all I was like go do it read it it was it was beautiful um I didn't think of it as her you know (laughs) no 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 No, for sure not for sure not but we found other ways to make it more clear I think in the later episodes of uh who's saying what but yeah I mean one of the things that jumped out at me was that you know what what we were talking about it the from the jump was this um witchcraft and activism are one and the same mm-hmm. and that specific sentence is risa all day long it's mm-hmm. all day long so shout out risa <laughs> she's <laughs> too busy she's busy being a great cosmic mother tonight so she can't be with us in all of the metaphorical and symbolic and practical <laughs> she's on the front lines yeah <laughs> Um, so I, I want to, I do want to mention some of this activism because they're, you know, in hearing those words, it's part of what made me think, okay, maybe her moon was in Aries, but then I can also see it in Taurus because of that rootedness in earth and in that, that profound concern for our earth and for nature as well. Um, but I do want to, we're talking about the south node, but on the other side of that axis is the north node conjunct Mars. So Mars is the ruler of Aries, and in either case, there is a a warrior uh, archetype imprinted or stamped. And I, as I imagine her uh, marching through that church, maybe vulnerable on the inside, but on the outside, looking every part the warrior with her painting um, God giving birth on a placard on her back (laughs) and not caring what people think. And then, you know, singing, I mean, for how many cultures do we sing actually when we march to war? Like, and we can think about this in different ways, but I can imagine those songs being a battle cry of sorts. So that ability to, to, uh, you know, activism requires an action. It requires acting and it requires a profound courage. And so I'm wondering if we can maybe see that in uh, maybe the Aries moon, but equally maybe that 
So uh, Jasmine described the south node as this, I like to call it almost a well, like this well we're drawing from or, or ladling from. The north node is something that we're reaching for, or that we're called to amplify, or that we still have yet to integrate in our lifetime. So then integrating my, perhaps that, that warrior streak or that, um, the, or just anger, just being able to metabolize your rage. Because it sounded like she was really fucking angry and had good reason to be. But then like, how do you, how do you mobilize that and not just break out in hives? <laughs> uh, it was that a rhetorical question? Because I think for Monica, the answer is um, da dancing, singing, um, banging mm -hmm. on a drum, um, dancing, singing, banging on a drum. Mm -hmm. I think that's how we all do it, you know? Yeah or how, how maybe a good way if we don't. With, with Mars, they're one of, one of the answers to Mars problems is to actually working it out, like getting, getting physical, getting embodied. And yeah, dancing is such a conductor of energy. Um, yeah, do you, do you, Jasmine or Kestrel, do you have any other thoughts on the nodal axis? It's your nodal axis, Kestrel. I'm wondering if you have other thoughts about it. Yeah, no, I thought about it. And of course, I was entertaining, you know, the potentiality for the Virgo rising. So through that north node of just the way she communicated everything through her artwork and her writing. So I thought about that. Um, yeah, and I, I was I was thinking about that Mercury too. Um, just giving and it's, it's ruled in the Deccan of the moon as well. And I was just thinking about how she gave so much voice, um, you know, challenging the dogma and the religions as well. But so the Mercury is in Sagittarius. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Were we thinking about any other particular signatures that we wanted to bring up with her or, or did you want to say anything more about the access as well, Jasmine? I don't have anything else to say about the access, but we've talked about this on the podcast before and that Sagittarius archetype having this viral quality and Monica's show was doing all of this work and there was no social media. <laughs> as far as like, you know, distributing your work, she didn't have the access to the things that we have access to today. So I find it really fascinating that she was able to really sustain this viral quality in the way that she was communicating in the 70s and 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 it's continuing to be viral past her death and it's it's still permeating and um no i just wanted to highlight that and also tell the audience that reading her work and understanding how it has so much value today and just even having this conversation is something that I highly recommend. It's definitely opened, opened up my eyes to just a lot of the way that we're metabolizing and, and processing the movement of, of witches. Amy, you spoke about this idea of, of uncovering, um, and, and that's what Monica Show did with her work. And I was wondering, where do you feel like we are today in that process versus in the 1970s? Uh, 
incomplete <laughs> for sure but i think the good news is that we are in the process mm -hmm. that we are still in the process um and the better news is that like you said we we do have social media um marginalized voices do have platforms that they can control um and so we can make sure that we don't go missing in the same way that the witches that Risa and I are, are talking about have to some degree. Some are more famous than others. Um, but we can stop that from happening right. by telling these stories and telling our own stories and including ourselves in this pantheon of magical people whose you know, voices need to, who have something to say. Um, I go back a lot to, because so, so many uh, of the people that we have, we have featured, um, their work was maligned or dismissed. Mm -hmm. um, it, 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 not just being ignored by history, but like straight up, like you're stupid and wrong <laughs> or, <laughs> you know, that can't possibly be right. And then we see, you know, as technology catches up that, that, that their ideas are vindicated. Um, so... <sighs> I would say that don't cover up your own ideas unless there's seeds and you're covering them with dirt so that they can germinate. <laughs> um, do, not, do not dim your light. Mm -hmm. Hand out compliments like the free gifts that they are. Mm -hmm. um, be honest. And this is something that I think it was you, Eliza, you were talking about the warrior, but then also this aspect of vulnerability. Mm -hmm. And for witches, for us, for Monica, the vulnerability is infor informs the power. Mm -hmm. And part of her objective was to think of, let's think of Mother Earth. And again, this mother archetype of, you know, doting and nurturing. But that's not what nature is. Nature is destructive and chaotic it's not evil of course because that would imply you know something but um it's that too it's aggressive it's destructive um and she just wanted to show a more complete version of first of all what a woman is i'm using scare quotes you know a woman is but also what a, what it means to be human what it means mm -hmm. to live in society what it means to um not reject your own power um, so in terms of the unearthing, in terms of the vulnerability, I think that that's, that's all there. You, you, when you are vulnerable, especially in this world, in this moment, that is so brave. And that is the, it's the only way that we can make any progress. You know, mm -hmm. the egos that are in charge are incapable. It would absolutely destroy them to recognize mm -hmm. or to admit their vulnerability. So you can't grow mm -hmm. if you can't. You know, so the ultimate warrior is the one who recognizes, um, uh, first of all, their imperfections and, mm -hmm. and, and glories in them in the same way that leaves are imperfect and grass is imperfect and yet like perfect. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so at this point, I definitely don't remember what the question was, but hopefully something in there answered some part of it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was just, yeah, I, I think you're answering the question, but it's just been so beautiful to be in her company while preparing for this podcast. I feel like it's really unearthed like a new level 
of vulnerability and discharging of grief for myself and trying to understand that greater context of the mother archetype and like as a woman who hasn't given birth to children really embracing that as well so I'm just I just feel so touched like she's been in my presence for the last week that's actually offering this healing right through having this conversation here today to then continue moving forward and being an ally to women but to men too like that seems like bringing them along with us and I've had some side conversations with men as well of like what is a witch and as I begin to define it and unpack it and reclaim the name I'm seeing them light up too of their love of nature and mother earth and their own you know the women in their life as well and wanting to yeah help it rise again I can't find the word I want to use but I just um that's where it speaks of Jasmine's original question of like, where are we now? And I feel very activated by it and um, empowered by just having this conversation. Um, so thank you. That's yeah. where it landed for me. Um, I, I never, I never met Monica, but I feel like if she were here, she would create a safe space, but she wouldn't coddle us. That's what I feel like. <laughs> That's the kind of vibe, like you know, she's she's not going to take your self pitying shit. She's not going to listen to your bullshit. You know, and uh, that I, that's the kind of friend that I like. <laughs> you know, yeah. and so that again, I feel very connected to that to somebody who's mm-hmm. going to be like, you know, get it out of your system and then let's go. Right, pull your right. bootstraps up, or yeah. No, which I really appreciate, which I think was kind of the reflection that I got. It's like, okay, yes, fall apart for a second, but you're fine. You're okay. You've got work to do. (laughs) And she kept the work going her whole life. Even like it seemed, I I didn't get it exactly, but even as she was struggling with cancer at the end of her life, she was just doing the work, the great work every day or however that looked for her. That was highlighted in her, in her obituary, wasn't it? That she like to the very last day was still working and still speaking and still painting. Um, Like she just never gave up, which also speaks to that warrior Mars like quality in her chart where she's just going to keep going no matter what. Maybe that's sun in Capricorn too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And she seemed like she really, this was in the guardian, like in her mm-hmm. obituary, like how there was this charisma too. She just mm-hmm. like, you know, even though she was maybe that type of friend who was like, okay, enough. Okay. I'm going to tell you the raw truth, but also really drew people in and, and she attracted people too that inner flame or whatever. I don't, I can't remember what, where Vesta is in her chart. Well, I I think we should talk about that because Vesta is exactly conjunct Lilith. Mm -hmm. And she's, so just to give, to explain a bit what that means, Vesta is one of the, one of the four main asteroids that are named after Roman goddesses. And of all the goddesses, Vesta is the one that most, um, 
strikes us as being complete in herself, as being, I mean, all of the virgin, the so-called virgin goddesses have that in them, but with Vesta, there is this real sense of her, di- her devotion is not going toward any other earthly being. It's going, it's divinely channeled and it's going somewhere divine. And there's an incredible dedication and focus. She's the goddess of the hearth and the Latin word for uh, for flame literally is focus, foci. So there's this idea of the flame being a focus and a focus for her and having that devotion, um, again, towards something more transcendent. Um, but we see her archetype in, in nuns, in the Vestal Virgins, in priestesses, in people who have these sisterly bonds with other witches, maybe in your coven or in your, your community in your family, your chosen family, what have you. Um, and then Lilith is the most maligned of them all. <laughs> she has such a, just from the stories, I mean, she was literally arrested for her art. Like she has such a Lilith streak. Lilith being this, you know, arch archetype of the dark femme that we have, this this person who has been scapegoated and exiled in really every iteration of her story from the poems to Inanna where she was kicked out of the Chalupu tree and um, (laughs) banished to wild uninhabited places to to her stories in, well, her stories with Adam being Adam's first wife in the Garden of of Eden and then being kicked out because she refused to lay beneath them. She refused to be uh, secondary to him or um, what's the word I'm looking for? Submissive. Um, that's not the word. There's another word. And so she, she um, self-exiled to the Red Sea. So there's this theme of like refusal, but also of, in her absence of being totally maligned and becoming the scapegoat and being hated and being reviled. And I feel like that has, that is such a um, familiar story for witches who have always been maligned and hated and or slut shamed or um, we all know. (laughs) So it's interesting to me that these two you know, we have Lilith, who's not a body in space, but a, a point in space, and we, but important nonetheless, literally within 10 minutes of arc. So very, very, very close together. They were exactly conjunct. You almost can't get more close. <laughs> and they're just kind of holding hands at the top of, well, not necessarily the top of the chart, because we don't know what her ascendant is, but they're holding hands there in Aquarius. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, which is really interesting to note the Aquarius archetype too of like, you know, just being so innovative, innovative in her ways and the collective, like she just had so much of the collective in mind, it seemed like. Mm-hmm. Well, and they're opposite Pluto within yeah. one degree as well, within right. like 30 minutes of arc. She had Pluto at zero Leo. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, Uranus being the modern day ruler of Aquarius mm-hmm shed some more light on her stellium between Ceres, South Node, and Uranus. So in doing this research, what I've noticed is I have clients coming to me that are trying to uncover their spirituality more. And it's, it's specifically 
women that are identifying with the witch archetype. They're trying to uncover it for themselves. They're trying to figure out if these signatures exist in their chart. And with all the information that we've gathered to do these podcasts, you know, there's not really one signature. But what I've started to notice is that in the charts of witches, they are able to navigate the polarities in their chart in a very, very special way. And they're able to identify with this whole idea of opposites Mm -hmm. or the concept of as above, so below. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm wondering if you, Amy, can talk a little bit about this idea of navigating the polarities that we deal with on a daily basis or the polarities that um, play into our spirituality and maybe just like give the, the audience a little information about how to start to think from that perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, um, I mean, I was sort of like doing a little swirl dance while you were talking about like navigating polarities because to me that that's a, a huge part of it. I mean, I think the witch to me is a gender neutral term, um, but the witch is, exists in outside of the binary. Mm-hmm. And I'm not just talking about the male female binary, although mm-hmm. that too, although that too. Um, good, bad, mm-hmm. self, other, right. here, there, then, now. Um, mm-hmm. Because we, we just have a completely different framework for how we envision the world. There is, there is no, I mean, we, we know that the, these poles exist, but yeah, the, that's where the play happens because we allow ourselves to go, you know, we allow ourselves to move, whether that be through, you know, shape-shifting, you know, um, drag, um, back to that as a form of shape-shifting, or whether we just are, are recognizing our, um, our own play. That, I mean, that's just part of it to me, is this, you know, uh, using, using every color in the spectrum whatever that spectrum again I I know that like in in the society that we live in right now and and I'm so glad that we have this vocabulary to talk about gender and sexuality but again my notion of the binary is way bigger than that um because I don't think that we are either or again I I, from the jump I said like the witch to me isn't a noun Mm -hmm. you know and I think that this labeling and nouning of ourselves like is is, okay so let me put it this way (laughs) the non-witch the non-witch might say who am i what am i and that's a totally valid question but maybe the witch says who am i today what am i right now who am i in this moment who am I on Tuesday? Maybe that's different than who I am on Wednesday. And we don't have a problem with that as witches, I think. It's play. It's play. And mm. the idea that we have to be one thing is like capitalist, patriarchal, hegemonic brainwashing. You don't have to be one thing because you're not. You're not. Hallelujah. And air and fire and water. You know, you are soil and root and bloom and and stem and petal. You know, you're a flower. You're not one thing. 
and you're a you're a pollinator and a giver of beauty and, and scent like yeah i guess to, to answer the question because uh, to me the witch doesn't doesn't see a tension between the poles it's a play it's pong we're bouncing it's a game that's such an incredibly beautiful answer i just want to thank you for that <laughs> you know i i just i was entranced by you saying like here versus there self and other also i would say night and day new moon full moon and the idea that we're we are the bridge in between all of that and we are like the, the ether or the connective tissue or or the just the air like the non-mass <laughs> the ether <laughs> between all of that i think it's a it's a mind expansive like just opening real liberating thought <sighs> yes and I feel well, like and that's a big part of the work that Jasmine and I have been doing with the, the trauma release is how do you, I don't know if it's, I guess it's integration work, but it's also um, just reclaiming our wholeness in it all. Like we, we are already whole in it. Right. Yeah. yeah. And being comfortable in both spaces. Mm -hmm. and all spaces. All spaces <laughs> and simultaneously. <laughs> All one. It's, it's not a light switch. It's a dimmer wheel. That's right. What I always say. We're not yeah. light switches. We're dimmer wheels. And so we can control the electricity, I think, in many ways. I love that dimmer wheel analogy. No, it makes me want to play with my dimmer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Definitely. And, and when is your book coming out? Yes, please tell us about the book. <laughs> yes, you can pre-order the book. Um, this is, uh, I can't remember which one of you I was emailing about my like total lack of knowledge as far as astrology goes. Um, but <laughs> yeah, that was Eliza, okay. And so Eliza knows this about me, but it also occurred to me that in like a, a, a sort of wider um the book, the book is stories from the podcast and other stories. Well, as you mentioned Inanna and I got excited because I wrote a chapter about uh, Anna Duana, the poetess mm -hmm. and the moon. And so the whole chapter is like about Inanna and Enheduanna and the moon. Um, and so I'm trying to sort of like tell myself like that's astrology. Like, and, and the, the book itself is organized around the wheel of the year. Mm. Um, so which is also like celestial events, you know, the, the sun is long and short here. And, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. So that's about as close to astrology as I get. But yeah, it comes out. Um, on North Atlantic Books through uh, Penguin Random House on March 23rd. You can pre-order it at the uh, Penguin Random House website or on our website, missingwitches.com, where you can also listen to the podcast and click through to get Missing Witches merch while we're on the subjects of things that we're doing. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah. I mean, do you have like two more minutes for my personal wrap-up question for the three of you. Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, so I think a lot of us are like looking anywhere that we can grasp at some straws of hope these days. And everyone from 
Maijin Gonzalez-Whippler to KRS-One talks about the age of Aquarius and the dawning <laughs> of the age of Aquarius. And so since you're actual astrologers, I was wondering if each of you could just hit me with like a, it's coming, um, these are just <laughs> growing pains in a larger scheme. Give me, give me like a ray of like future light that's gonna just like blow me my contemporary mind, if you don't. <laughs> Just like one minute, just like one minute of how awesome the age of Aquarius is going to be and when it's coming and when we can expect it to officially begin. <laughs> That's a big question. Yeah. You got one minute. <laughs> I know. And I feel like you were referring to it on Harriet Tubman. <laughs> yeah, I did. I did. I was, I was really excited to have an opportunity to transcribe and quote KRS-One on mm -hmm. one of my episodes. I've been listening to that freestyle for years and just- I love Karis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so, hilarious. Yeah, this, this specific freestyle, he's talking about um, the relationship of the Bible and astrology and, and these themes and how they, they work together. But yeah, I mean, his contention, and again, many, 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 many others, is that we are going into like a new way of living. And I feel like at the end of 2020, like, hit me. <laughs> so, let's, let's, let's start now. <laughs> these, we'll ages, back, <laughs> these ages are millennia long. They're thousands of years long. And how they're defined, and I only really learned this in the last, I only really understood it or grokked it in the last year, I would say, is if you look, so the day your book comes out, <laughs> it'll be two days after or just around the spring equinox and if you were to look outside up at the night sky and see the constellation that was rising that is the age that we are in so 2000 years ago when our the, the tropical zodiac which is the one we mostly use in the west um, when the tropical zodiac was being formulated you would look up at the night sky and you would see the constellation Aries and then that well Maybe that was more than 2,000 years ago. That would have been more than 2,000 years ago. That would have been 2,000 plus. <laughs> and then that shifted through precession because everything's constantly ticking. The, the so-called fixed stars move 70, move one degree every 72 years. So over millennia, that like makes a difference. And so 2,000 years ago, um, you looked up at the night sky on the day of when the, the light was perfectly even between night and day after after the winter solstice. So it was, it was the first day of spring and that was the age of Pisces. And then we, we found, you know, Christianity and everyone was very pious in these more um, hyper-spiritual and with, with a lot of extra religiosity and, and it ended up becoming very monotheistic. Anyway, um, and so, yeah, we're 2000 years later. But the thing is, when we're working in, in timelines of millennia, it takes a couple hundred years to transition. And we are still in the transition. So <laughs> it won't be like technically exact for a couple hundred years, probably, like give or take 100, 200 years. However, <laughs> a lot of a lot of the like tension, at least, well, tension, a lot of the devastation and hardship over this past year has been this conjunction between Saturn and Pluto, which only happens every 40 years or so. And it's always uh, accompanied with hardship and crisis and um, catastrophe and 
needing to gather our resources and just survive, like survival being our standard, our new standard <laughs> for success. <laughs> and that is, that is waning, that Saturn will joyfully, like after three years, will, I mean, his, Saturn has been in Capricorn for three years and he'll move into Aquarius as it happens on, I believe the 17th of this month, so soon. And that will, um, that will, I think, bring a release and just a loosening and a relaxing. So it's the age of Saturn in Aquarius starting in like a week, <laughs> but not, like te not technically the age of Aquarius. However, it's, it is the age of Saturn and um, Jupiter meeting in Aquarius for the first time in a long time. That will be happening that's a, I think a 20 year cycle, but, but them meeting in air signs will be a 200 year cycle. So we are kind of entering a new age when it comes to the, the cycles between Saturn and Jupiter. But technically speaking, that age of Aquarius we're, we're, we've been singing about since the sixties and probably dreaming about for a lot longer is still in progress. That was longer than a minute. <laughs> Jasmine or Kestrel, do you have anything to add to that? Um, the only thing I was going to say is somebody that speaks really well to the age of Aquarius and the dawn of age of Aquarius is Barbara Hancloud. If you're researching this whole age of Aquarius idea and she is in it of her own right is an amazing astrologer and, um, speaks with so much wisdom. So I highly recommend for the audience and for you, Amy, to to check out Barbara Hancloud. She's done some amazing work and talks about the age of Aquarius. And I, there's, there's some star alignments and I can't speak onto specifically what they are that are happening in 2040 um, that astrologers are talking about um, that suggests that that's when the age of Aquarius officially starts. Um, but, you know, there's, so much speculation about when that really is and it dates back to the 60s and i feel like that pressure and that energy started then i mean you can clearly see it in monica show's work i mean she is <laughs> the epitome of like what the age of aquarius should in theory represent right so um we're in it um we're pioneering it we are the ones that are, are trying to push these whole ideas forward and i think that it's just important to continue to try to move forward with what we are trying to establish and have already established in doing work like monica's show has put forth and just continuing that legacy and i feel like that's where we are and um to not get bogged down or distracted by a bunch of other mm. bullshit that's going on in the world. Um, but just like recording this podcast and doing like what you're doing with missing witches. I mean, that's huge. That work is huge. And that is super Aquarian. <laughs> <laughs> I I love that you said that we're we're pioneering it now. Yeah. Like instead of instead of waiting for the age to come upon us, like let's be the architects of that enlightenment mm -hmm. that we want. Absolutely. That age to bring. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much, Kestrel, Eliza, Jasmine. Oh yeah. Thank you so much for being with us. My pleasure. Such a treat. <laughs> so, what's the best place to find you and? Uh, on the internet, on, on the, yeah, on the internet our, landscape. 
all our social medias are at missing witches instagram twitter all that um and uh anything else you want from us you can find at missingwitches.com you can pre-order our book you can listen to the podcast you can check out our merch um you can check out our sponsor fox the farm uh, shout out to sammy harvey who is just the, one of the coolest witches we know and gives us money <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah so anything you need from us you can find at missingwitches.com if you want to reach out it's missingwitches at gmail.com and uh we we love getting emails so definitely never hesitate we friggin' love emails <laughs> And where can people find you, Kestrel? Yeah, and folks can find me at Kessaru at Instagram and then kestrelmeathawk.com. And two. <laughs> and people can find us at cosmictonic.com. Our Instagram is at cosmictonic and our Twitter handle is cosmic underscore tonic. And we would like to thank everyone for being here. And we'll see you next time. Bye. 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 <laughs>